<laughs> Welcome to Fine Rambles, number 107. So there's this weird thing going on right now where it feels like my life is on pause, basically, because of coronavirus. But outside, the world seems to be on fast forward. It's like it's like there's this time compression, like time is being compressed and it's going faster and faster, even, uh, even as my life slows to a crawl. It was only about 10 days ago on the Exponent podcast, which is excellent, by the way, that Ben Thompson laid out what he sees as the right strategy for Spotify. And, and basically, his, his thesis was this. He said, look at how advertising has changed. It basically has become the Facebook model where everyone on a platform sees a unique feed, and then the company uses that information to deliver unique advertisements that are super targeted. And so you see this shift from soap being advertised on CBS to a very specific product in your Instagram feed. And his argument was that Spotify is going to do the same thing essentially for music, replacing radio. In radio, again, everyone hears the exact same ad at the exact same time, but Spotify, with their data, is equipped to really target each listener with just the right ad. And he said, essentially, you should see them do the same thing in podcasts. Because, again, right now, each podcast pretty much reads the same advertising to everyone. And that is insanely inefficient. And so he says, look, they will start to attract podcasts and they will start to provide very targeted advertising. And the ROI on that advertising, the return on investment for those ads for the advertisers will go up dramatically, like orders of magnitude. Some of that money will flow through to the podcast creator and this will be a virtuous circle. This will be a positive feedback loop because more and more podcasters will realize that they can make more money going to Spotify. More and more advertisers will realize they can attract customers more cheaply, more efficiently, more effectively on Spotify. Spotify will get better and better data, and therefore the flywheel will continue. So that was 10 days ago. And this week, Joe fucking Rogan came out and said he's moving to Spotify. I mean, this was immediate confirmation that Ben Thompson was correct. And then, you know, look at the call her daddy brouhaha, right? I mean, call her daddy is this amazing podcast. It's basically the Joe Rogan for women. And they're having this huge brouhaha basically over money. And if you want to understand what's going on, it's an amazing saga. Download the latest Call Her Daddy podcast, which is basically Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports laying out his view of what happened. And then you can go on YouTube and see Sophia Franklin's about two-minute hot take on that. And then you can go on YouTube and watch Alex Cooper's about 30-minute 
explanation of it from her point of view. And this is just a gold mine of information about how the podcasting industry works. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So again, Ben Thompson comes out with this thesis 10 days ago, and you've already seen it play out that fast. Things are moving so quickly. You know, I think I should also take the other side of this argument because, you know, it's fun to watch what's happening in podcasts. But let me just play devil's advocate for one minute, okay? And this is sort of part of a larger theme. How can I put this? If Joe Rogan and Bill Burr and Call Her Daddy and all the amazing podcasts all move to Spotify, you're going to get better advertising. You're going to get advertising for products that you actually may want to buy <laughs> instead of, you know, MeUndies and Fleshlight and Stitch Fix. Let me ask you, do you want better ads? Do you want ads that are algorithmically designed to prompt you to buy things? I mean, do you want to be in a position where where all of your data is being used to predict your behavior, to guide that behavior, to, to control that behavior. I mean, we're already consumers, right? We're not citizens. We're consumers. Do you want Spotify to have so much data about you that they're going to be able to make you a better consumer? Maybe you do. I don't know. I think about this with Netflix as well. I mean, they have so much information on us that they can start to design better television shows. They can come up with ways to keep us better engaged, more engaged. Is that something that we want? Because a better show, a show that has better hooks, that has better arcs, that starts playing the next episode immediately, I mean, that just makes Netflix more addictive. Is that a good thing? Is a better product a good thing? Because the result is, and I do this all the time, I just binge on Netflix shows and then, you know, my sleep goes to shit. My productivity goes to shit. Or how about this? Do we want better tasting food? Because the food companies, well, they don't provide food anymore. They provide things that kind of resemble food but they've been designed to be more addictive. They test the ratios of carbohydrates and vegetable oils and fats and sugar to make it an addictive product. So a certain kind of better tasting food just makes us more addicted to eating ice cream and potato chips. And that makes our health way worse. So again, do we want food that's been designed to be, quote, better tasting and more addictive? I don't know. And I guess, you know, I'll take this one step further. Do we want cheaper products? I mean, that sounds so obvious, right? Cheaper is better, Matt. Come on. Come on. But is cheaper better, right? Like, okay, so... So Joel Saladin was on Joe Rogan this week, and he was talking about cheaper food. And he made a really good point, which is 
You think the food is cheaper because the price is lower in the supermarket. But what does that actually mean? How do you actually provide cheap food? Well, the supply chain to make that food has to be super efficient. And as we're finding out from coronavirus, efficient supply chains are, are fragile supply chains. I would say, in general, something that's very efficient often externalizes its true costs. So what are the externalized costs of cheap food? It's not healthy. We're going to get sick, and that means high cost of health care down the line. And so what's short-term cheap is actually long-term expensive. And it's worse. I mean, cheap food requires pesticides and fertilizers. Highly efficient food processing means factory farming. It means the abuse of animals. It means these, these massive meatpacking facilities where we now know that disease spreads really easily. And they're so fragile that when people get sick, the factory has to close down. And then you go to the supermarket and there's no cheap food to buy. What's the point of having cheap food if you can't buy it? I mean, somehow we've gotten into this economy, this system, where things that look cheap aren't. They're actually way more expensive than doing things the right way. But the costs are, are hidden. They're deferred. They're, they're externalized. They're spread across the entire culture, the entire country, rather than being borne by the person who's buying the cheap product in the moment. And I think that has to get solved. I think that problem has to get solved. And what a time to do it, right? Because as I said, things are moving so quickly. Time, time is compressed. I feel like we could accomplish a lot very quickly if we all pulled together right now. That's all I got. I'll catch you next week.